Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to uh, the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Really glad you're here. You're in for a special treat today. Uh, this is uh, our guest today. You've heard of him. He's world-renowned famous. <laughs> and I'm just kidding. But he is pretty well-known. <laughs> he is pretty well-known. And the uh, the reason why I asked if we could interview him was because, like, again, for probably the 10th time in our 80-something podcasts, Somebody told us that when we asked him, how'd you get started? He said, ah, well, I bought this course by this weird guy, uh, something uh, by the name of Chris Chico. I think he's from Puerto Rico or something like that. <laughs> and uh, Alex and I both got started, I think. Um, one of one of my favorite courses that I bought when I was first getting started was Chris Chico's course. I think it was I called- I was the original Chico student. You were. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. he was actually. He was because, uh, uh, yeah, it was. He was the first guy that ever uh, that ever got the course. Uh, so Jace, uh, so he's like the he's the original. Uh, he's like uh, number one, the original sucker. <laughs> yeah, he's no. like the original, like the guy that bought, that bought the first Apple iPod. <laughs> so, um, what year was that? Oh man. Six, maybe? That was more. I think it was probably uh, late 2007-ish. And that okay. was your absentee owner profits, wasn't it, system or something like that? Yes. Yeah, exactly, exactly. What did you uh, call that it? That was a mess. <laughs> what do you mean a mess? <laughs> you know, the, the, it, the layout was a mess. <laughs> you know, what was funny is that at that time, most courses were, you know, you bought the course and they shipped you all these, you know, all this stuff. You know, uh, books and DVDs and tapes and all that other stuff, and I put this thing together. And really, what the what the course was was I had done um, uh, video tutorials for a couple of the people that were working for me, teaching them how to do certain things. And I literally just had all those videos. And a couple of people said, "Hey, you got to create this booklet and all these DVDs and all this other stuff." And I said, "What? That's a lot of work." And I was, I think I was one of the first guys uh, on the real yeah. estate niche that actually took and did their site online. And I had many people tell me, oh, this has never worked. I mean, people want books and courses and all, you know, the, the, the physical stuff. And I'm like, I, that's all I got. I don't want to do all That's a lot of work. So I literally just took all the videos that I created, uploaded them. And then, uh, and then Alex and I knew each other from uh, previous uh, real estate events. And I told them about it. And then uh, the rest is history. What real estate event did you guys meet at? The Pitch Free Mike Collins seminar. Oh, I surprised yeah. I surprised him. Well, no, you we met there, but I thought we had met before somehow. No. Oh, you know, no, yes, no. right. That's where you and I met. You actually found my course online. Yes. And then you became a customer and then we started yes. interacting with each other and then eventually we met. So you weren't even my friend. So you actually I wasn't. bought the course. Yeah, you were. So technically, he's a he 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 was the official customer, first customer, because he, him. I didn't even know if I would like the guy. All I know is he, you know, he paid, he bought me, he gave me some money, and I thought <laughs> I'm going to try and like the guy because typically anybody that gives me money, I try and like them at first. You might, yeah, that's a good idea for a little while. For a little while, 
<laughs> and I was going to ask you, Joe, do I have, have you had anybody come on the show a second time? Or am I the first second timer? Oh, you know, I think Steve Cook is the first second ah. timer. Okay. And we've had multiple uh, interviews with people like a part one and a part two. So, okay. you know. All right. But, All right. Well, I'll forgive you guys. <laughs> but I'm not kidding. We had, we've had at least 10 people tell us that your course was one of the first, well, was one of the ones that got them started, if not the course that got them started in this business. Interesting. Well, I'm flattered by that, and, and I'm glad that I'm able, able to help a couple people, except for you guys, along the way. So, well, yeah, look what uh, you did to us. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Life-changing. Chris Chico changed my life. There you go. <laughs> uh, I want you to tell that to my wife. Maybe she'll hold me in higher regards. She won't, uh, she won't force me to take out the garbage every day. Oh, so like that was 2007. About seven years ago, you came out with that. Yes. And I don't remember where I heard about you from, but I think it was on the Flipping Homes com forum because um, you you were kind of a hot topic at the time because you were talking about you know this is right when the market was at its lowest it was right. free falling and uh, Florida was once a hot market and now everybody was running to the hills and getting out of Dodge and whatever other phrase you want to say and like Florida was a tough market but you were actually doing deals in other markets right. Exactly. Yes. Um, I, I think I think it, it it was popular. It became kind of a hot topic then. I think for two different reasons. Number one is that you know most of the courses up to that time frame were all physical in nature, and um, I think mine was one of the few, or if not, I don't know if it was the only one, but you know mine was exact video tutorials that showed you how to do everything step by step. And most of the courses back then were just kind of general, like hey, you want to go out and do direct mail. And here's a big picture of it, but then you kind of had to go out and figure all this out on your own, you know, all the nuts and bolts. And so I think that that was one of the things that <clears throat> why it, it really resonated with people because it was it was very much step by step, and it is to this day. And then uh, you know the virtual wholesaling, which is what you just spoke about, is that I um, the market here was declining, and I thought, well, gee, you know, I know that there's other people doing real estate deals in other real estate markets, and then um, I said, you know, there should I, I don't see any reason why I can't do that. And the first market, I still remember, the first market was uh, Jacksonville, the one that I tried. And yeah. I tried that because there was a couple guys online talking about, they were, they were pushing, they were talking about the market cycles and how Jacksonville had really great rental, uh, rent, rental rates, you no know, ROI, versus some of these hot markets. And I remember I did a direct mail campaign there, and I tied up 10 properties. And then I drove up there. In this uh, uh, this rental car, drove around all the neighborhood to try to figure out you know what these deals were. I realized that that didn't work because by the time you I drove by the last house, I'd forgotten everything I drove by. It was like a big blur. And uh, ready, fire, about, aim. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I remember like driving by houses and you know with with my you know like I, I didn't want to stop in front of the house because then people would get out and say, "What the hell are you doing?" So I would drive by slowly with my camera sticking out of the the, the, the outside of the car so I could just, you know, stapping a bunch of photos. And people were a little bit odd. They found that a little bit odd yeah. that, this, that this guy was driving around the area. So I did that. And then all the deals that I thought were deals were not deals. So I had the opportunity that I had to go back to all those sellers and tell them that I couldn't do the deal anymore. 
And uh, I, it was like 10 deals, and I had to do that in the span of two days. So it gave me a great experience, you know, having to tell people in two days that you can't buy their house anymore because it's not worth what you thought it was going to be worth. Um, and then just trial and error, you know, I figured out the buyers, how to go in and, and pull the buyers and stuff like that. And so, uh, uh, but that was, uh, that was an interesting, uh, interesting time. And then finally got it to work, got it to work. And that's how the whole, the whole thing started. And, uh, well, you know, I think Chris, one of the reasons why it was so successful is because you, you just focused on one thing and it was sending postcards to absentee owners and getting it under contract, right? Exactly. And that was one of the things that I always tell people is, is focus. You know, I, when I started as a real estate investor, I was attacking, you know, four or five different things. And so never really getting any traction in any one of those things. And then I made the decision. I said, you know, you got to just focus on one thing, own it, do it really, really well um, and, and try to make that one thing work. And then if that works, then you do everything else. You add more things to that. And for me, direct mail, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a bit of a... I used to be an accountant and a long time ago, so uh, my way of processing information is very mechanical, and so I like the whole aspect of direct mail and the testing and the you know getting of the list and everything else. And I also had noticed that a lot of the investors that I spoke with that were doing a lot of deals were also doing direct mail. So by process of elimination, I just decided on direct mail, and then that's I think was was a pivotal moment. And I think that that's what I would recommend to anyone getting started is is that. You know, you got to really focus on one thing and, and pick that one thing that you're going to attack and, and try to uh, do well and try to make some money from that. And then and then at that point, then you could focus on other strategies. But sometimes I think people dilute themselves and they don't really give themselves uh, a chance to make this work because of that. Well, and you're still focusing on direct mail, aren't you? I mean, you're talking about the 80-20 principle. What is your 20%? Chris? You know, our, our main bread and butter has is always, you know, direct mail. You know, things have changed. So we have fundamentally, it's still direct mail. You know, the postcards are maybe different. The voicemail messages that uh, sellers listen to are different. Uh, a bit of the, the how we get the list and, and gather the list uh, changes because the different platforms change. And so we have to make adjustments. But in essence, the foundation is still the same. You know, we're still mechanically doing deals the same way we were doing it in 2007. And I think there's something to be said for that. You know, some people, for example, focus on SEO. And I'm not saying there's anything negative about SEO, but anybody who's focused on SEO uh, knows, notices that things change quite rapidly. Um, I think just recently, Google just rolled out a, a Penguin 3.0 update on SEO, which uh, put a lot of sites in the penalty box. And so, you know, you always have to be constantly changing. Whereas direct mail, I like because it's a strategy that continues to work over the years. Can, and has worked in the past, continues to work now, and it will continue to work. And it's a it's a good strategy as a foundation to establish your business, and then you can layer on maybe some of those other things such as SEO and online, etc. Um, but I like it as a as a great foundation to your real estate business to to mo to get motivated sellers and get motivated buyers. You know, um, you could be called, I think, Chris, the the Godfather or grandfather. I mean, I see some gray hair on your uh, goatee in this picture on Skype. Oh, yes. Uh, I prefer to call it the godfather, not the granddaddy. Uh, okay. So you're, <laughs> you're, the, you're the godfather of, quote, unquote, virtual wholesaling. And a lot of right. people now are claiming to be the virtual wholesaling experts and the, the, <laughs> the, the, the go-to guys. It's the buzzword. Yeah, and it kind of annoys me now, actually. I don't like the word. 
But um, it is true you can flip properties in, from anywhere in the world with just a laptop and a cell phone. Um, now talk about that. I mean, honestly, heart-to-heart, man-to-man, can you really do that, Chris? Are you really doing that today? We are. We are doing that today. I'll say a couple of things. Number one is I always recommend people start, a, start off in the local market because, you know, doing another market that you are not familiar with, that you have no knowledge about, that, that's a thousand miles away, it's going to add another, another layer of complexity. So, you know, I started doing virtual wholesaling, but I already knew the business. I already knew the ins and outs. And so the, uh, I only had to overcome the obstacle of market knowledge. But somebody coming in brand new into the business, trying to do virtual wholesaling, unless you're in a market that you know is just not going to work, I would rather them stay in the local in the same local market. Um, you know, back then when I first started, there was no Google Street View. Um, and so for us, like we literally had to put ads on Craigslist and get people to take photos of properties and pay them to do that, etc. So there are a lot of tools right now that make doing this a lot easier. Uh, Google Street View, all the comps that are available everywhere nationwide, etc. You know, one thing I was going to make a comment about is, and this is kind of a, a, an offside uh, a comment to your your main question is, can someone do it? And I think it's uh, every anybody can do it. I think most people have uh, false expectations when they're coming into the business, especially in doing direct mail. And we get a lot of people calling the customer service and say, well, gee, if I buy the course, if I get involved, how quickly can I do a deal? I need to do a deal in the next 60 days. And if I don't do a deal, then all hell is going to break loose and my life is going to be in shambles. And I'm not saying that it's – I'm not – uh, putting anybody down who's in that situation, but I think you have to come in it, come into it with realistic expectations. And the best expectations that I can give somebody coming in is that, especially when you're starting a brand new and especially with direct mail, I think yes, you are looking to come in and and do deals, and that would be the best case scenario. But you have to come in also that you're looking to do two things: you're looking to do deals, but you're also looking at uh, buying data. And by that, I mean that. But when you come into a market and you do direct mail, you're making assumptions about what zip codes will work, what, what zip codes won't work. And only until you actually do the mailing and you get those calls and you talk to sellers and maybe you tie up some properties and then you figure out that they were, you bought them too high, now you can make adjustments. Now you can say, well, yeah, I'm going to drop these two zip codes because <coughs> they're really not that great or maybe add these other ones because investors have told me that they really would prefer there. So you're making adjustments. So I think that in the beginning, you're looking at buying data. So even if, say, for example, you do a direct mail campaign and you don't do a deal, that um, if if you get market intelligence and if you figure out, gee, that didn't work, but now I understand why it didn't work and now I'm going to make adjustments on my next campaign, some people might look at that and say, well, gee, that was not a winner because I didn't do a deal. But I would argue that it was a winner because you were able to gather information and now you're in a position where you can then uh, make some changes and potentially now do a deal on your second or third drop. Well, and you're also building your buyers list as you do that. Exactly. So I think that in the beginning, the approach is self-liquidation of your marketing, meaning that you want to try to get a deal or two so that you can pay for your marketing and have some profit. However, though, the second um, goal is is uh, is market intelligence, and I think that no matter what you do, you you don't really get that until you actually are starting to talk to buyers and sellers and 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 
and, and doing direct mail. And there's a cost involved with that. So I think that, that uh, people's expectations coming in thinking that, gee, I'm going to do a uh, direct mail campaign and I'm going to make $30,000 the first 60 days and the rest is history. Sometimes that would happen, but uh, that's not always the case. That's a really, really good point because um, I'm thinking of a couple things as you're talking there because there's this real principle of momentum in real estate. And it takes a while to build. And that's why it's so important to be consistent with your marketing because the more you do it, the more the 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 momentum is going to build up and it's really hard to push at first right like this little snowball or big snowball it's hard to push at first but once it starts going it becomes almost hard to stop um you know we have well i just i, I can tell you story after story of of sellers that hold my postcard for a year and then call me back or you know every seller that we talk to we follow up and send an offer to them. Every seller we talk to on the phone gets an offer in the mail. I can't tell you how many times, three, six months later, they call back after they've tried to sell it, after they've had their third tenant that they've evicted. You know, hey, is your offer still good? I mean, I'm interested now. And you, you can't get to that kind of a point where that momentum or that, that third or fourth postcard that the seller finally gets from you and that finally says, okay, I'll call you. You can't get to that point unless you're sticking in the ball game and you're playing. And it may take several months to get there. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. And, and actually, um, one of the, uh, thinking about what you just said, I think that the other perspective that I want to give people is that most people believe, you know, turning, learning real estate, it's a couple of different things that you have to learn, right? So you have to learn the, the technical part of it. And by the technical part of it is the contracts, how to do the contracts, how to do the direct mail, and how to do uh, a bunch of stuff just to be able to get off the ground with the business. Um, and so that's what's one, 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 um, one aspect of it. Then there's obviously the lead generation as aspect of it, which kind of builds on the technical, right? So if you do the direct mail correctly and you get all your systems in place and then you know how to do the contracts and now you're in a position where you can generate leads and take that to the next step. And I think that the um, most people focus on the lead generation aspect as being the thing that they need. So they're always looking for a new way to get leads, a new niche, a new approach, or something new that's going to get them leads that nobody else has. And I think that that's problematic because I think that most people uh, believe that they have a lead generation problem. But in fact, what they end up having, and I find this, I don't find this with, with new people, they just don't know. There's a lot of information they don't know. But whenever you, when you get somebody that is, um, is experienced and is already doing a couple of deals, they believe that the next step is you know, that they have a lead generation problem because they need more leads. But what we've been finding and in, in what we're doing now and working with clients is that uh, they actually have a sales and follow-up process mm -hmm. problem, right? And so you can get a bunch of leads in. And what most people are looking for is a low-hanging fruit, the seller that's going to call you and say, I'll take fifty grand for my $120,000 property. You tie them up and you sell them and then end the story. But I think you're finding, my, my opinion is you're finding less and less of that, especially as the market heats up. And so then you, know, you have a situation where you have a, um, you have a seller that has eight to ten different postcards in front of them and letters, all from different investors. And so now uh, you're 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 not gonna your your obstacle is not no longer getting the seller the call, but rather how to differentiate yourself and how to kind of stand above that pack and how to follow up correctly and how to talk to the sellers in a way so that they can 
be comfortable with you and then now you can get that deal versus the other two or three or four other investors that are doing exactly the same thing as you. And so I think that we do some implementation uh, for clients and what we find is that they'll come back and they'll say, well, gee, I did all this mailing and I don't have any deals. And then we look at their, uh, at their CRM and we notice, gee, you have 40 leads in there that are in follow-up that, you know, you need to call for more info. You need to maybe make additional follow-up calls with them. And then when we train them on that, then they're able to finally take and do deals from those same exact leads that they had mentioned that they didn't have. So I want to share with you something that uh, we're doing now, which um, is working, uh, it's working well. What we're doing now is that, like recently, I'll give you an example. We had a couple months ago, we had done a deal in Dallas, Texas. And this deal uh, was a deal that uh, we had made an offer to the seller initially, I think for $40,000. The house was worth ninety, and the seller went at sixty. So we're kind of at a standstill with them. And then we said to them, you know, hey, there's, you know, there's nothing we could do. And the, and the guy said, I don't, I don't, I can't do that deal. So we ended up um, still sending them a contract. So we sent them a contract in the mail for forty thousand, and then um, about thirty-five to forty-five days later, we got a call from the seller, and the seller says, "Hey, um, my tenant moved out, and now I want to sell." However, everybody else has sent me a postcard or letter. You were the only guys that sent me a contract. So if you're able to do the deal, I'm willing to do it. And so we got the deal and uh, we made, I think, $17,000 on that deal. And that was really because everybody else is sending postcards or letters, but we took that lead, the guy who raised his hand and now is in our our funnel. And we sent something better than just a postcard or letter. We sent them an actual contract. Well, you know, even and if it's even if you just send them a letter, hey, it was nice talking to you. Um, if you ever change your mind or if circumstances change, call us back. I mean, that nobody else is doing that. Now, we do that piggybacking what I just said. So we started to think about, well, gee, how could we make that process better? <clears throat> and so now what we do is we do what's called a, a pre-sale package now. And the way it works is that it's uh, if somebody now there's a difference between agreed in our in our internally we have two types of deals we have agreed upon deals and pre-sales an agreed upon deal is one where you make uh, um, an agreement with the seller on a particular property particular price and terms and now it's just a matter of getting the contract over for them to sign so then we have a bunch of leads and most of them end up being pre-sale leads and so uh, and we name them pre-sale because that, we're going to send them a pre-sale package. And so the pre-sale package is actually, the way it works is it's we sending them, we're sending them a contract. So let's say somebody, I'll give you a, this is a real life example. We had a property in our neck of the woods, Riviera Beach, that was $100,000 that they wanted. And we were offering 60000 So we send them a contract for 60000 However, the contract is a little bit more than just a contract. So we have, it's a... It's a one, two, three, four, five, six. It's a seven-page package and what we call a pre-sale package. And so that package has a letter addressing them and saying, you know, hey, we spoke. Uh, you know, this is an all-cash offer, you know, that we're sending you, et cetera. And then there's uh, two additional sheets or more like benefit sheets that tell them that it tries to differentiate ourselves between other investors and, you know, really a direct response-driven where we – Tell them, hey, here's dealing with us versus dealing with other guys. Here are all the benefits. 
etc., etc. And then we have uh, two copies of the contract, one copy for them to sign and date and, and to keep, and another one for them to sign and send back. And then they get that. Uh, let's say if I talk to a seller today, they'll get that today. We'll, we'll put it in the queue for today, and they'll get that in three days. And then what will happen is inside our CRM, it will automatically be set a task for one of our VAs to call and follow up with the seller about that pre-sale that they just received. And then what happens is that um, every 30 days after, we have uh, a 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, and 120 days. We have a series of yellow letters that go out. These are the letters that I wrote, not your typical yellow letter that says, you know, hey, I want to buy your house, call me, uh, uh, you know, Chris. The, the, letter, the yellow letters talk about the fact that we sent them the contract, the offer's still valid, but we still have other properties. You know, so the, the letters build on the theme of the fact that we sent them this agreement, and we send that letter to them 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, and 120, and then intertwined in all those uh, different letters are also uh, scheduled tasks that get created. So if on day zero, they're supposed to get the pre-sale package, and we know with our direct mail, they're going to get a package at day 30, day 60, day 90, then 120. So then what will happen is that on day 45, there's a task created for the VA to follow up. And there's a task on day 75 created for the VA to follow up. So what will happen is, is that that seller that has now come into our lead system and funnel, they're getting the pre-sale. They're getting a series of four letters, and they're getting additional four follow-up phone calls intertwined in all of that. And so that's in our effort to take a lead that potentially um, isn't a, a, a deal now, but now could be a deal in the future. So we have one just recently we got in where the seller was asking 100000 We sent them the pre-sale for sixty, And then on day 45, we end up getting, we end up just getting the contract back. They just signed it and sent it back. Uh, for sixty thousand dollars, so it's interesting because they were offering, uh, they wanted a hundred, but now the situations change, and I think that it comes down to a couple of different things. Obviously, there's a, a, a certain degree of follow up that's happening, right, both on the mail side and on the phone call side, and you know they get this mail package and it's an express envelope. It's like you know not a real. FedEx or envelope, but it looks like an express envelope and it's real nicely done. There's a return envelope there. It's, you know, it's a substantial package that they get. You know, so I think it's a combination of that. It's a combination of the fact that everybody else has sent them letters or postcards, but we're the only ones that have sent them this and have continued to call and continue to follow up and all the letters and everything else. And I think that just kind of builds on that. Um, so that's, so I think that nowadays, you know, in certain markets and down here in South Florida is very competitive. Yeah. I think you need to have some sort of sales process behind behind your that initial lead. So when the lead first comes in, yeah, you might get a couple of people that'll just give you their house for a really good price and a story. And yeah, you could keep on sending people mail and hoping that every time you send mail, you get new people that call in, et cetera. But there's already a bunch of people in your system that have already raised their hand, identified themselves as potentially wanting to sell. And um, and in the end, you know, you got to do more. We had also had another recent deal in Miami that uh, was four months ago, where um, the person was asking ninety thousand dollars, and now four months later, now they're down to sixty-five. 
And we got that deal on the contract simply because we continue to follow up with them. You know, Chris, every every seller, or I mean, every investor that I talk to that's doing a lot of deals, I, I ask them, you know, how many of your deals come from follow-up? People that called before and later on contact you again. And invariably, it's 50% or more, maybe a little less. But you, I see that over and over and over again. And it's so easy to forget it and overlook it. You're absolutely right. Yeah. You know, you know, on our end, so I think that that's, that's a big thing that people need to understand. So, you know, I, I, and I also think that, that our business is getting, it's, it's getting more, although it's getting simpler in the tools and, and the information that we have. However, I think it's getting more complex. And by that, I mean that I use the analogy of the, uh, the real estate uh, agent business, right? I, I used to be a realtor a long time ago. So back in the 1970s and 80s, you know, you had this uh, real estate company and it, there were just single salesperson, single, single salespeople. So you had a guy that was just a real estate agent doing his thing, getting clients, either sellers or buyers, working the deals, making sure they close, etc. And... I, I don't know when it happened, but I think more in the 1980s, you started to see agents transition from that single agent to then more of a team approach, where now that agent was not just the only agent. He got a team of agents around him that enabled him to, so he had a buyer's agent, he had a listing agent, uh, he had a closing coordinator, and he had various team members that that through those team members, now as a group, they were able to do more volume. And we're able to create systems and processes around. So it almost came to the point where many offices, uh, whereas in the past, an office had all these little single agents doing their thing and they had a certain amount of inventory and transactions. Now you had real estate uh, offices that had teams of agents that were doing, the team itself was doing as many transactions as in the past um, entire offices were doing. And it's interesting because I kind of see that and I think that that's kind of a, uh, the variety of different factors are contributing to that. But I see that, and I think you do too, uh, Joe, with some of the groups we're in, that our business is transitioning to that as well, where you still have the opportunity with somebody coming into the business just by themselves can go out and try to find a deal and try to put something together and try to make something happen. But eventually, I think there's a ceiling that they reach. And now you're seeing uh, kind of a uh, no middle ground. So it's either the guys and gals that are doing the, the business you know, on their own, or you have now people building teams that are now, um, that are doing more volume of deals spread out among a, a few different people and, um, and they're building a team and an office around that. So kind of almost mimicking what we saw in the real estate agent industry, transitioning, uh, to our side of the business, you know, the, the real estate, uh, yeah, the real estate investing business. It definitely is headed that way. Yeah. I I see that more and more people are uh, getting away from the one man show into right. building offices and teams and maybe they're virtual but I mean it, it seems yeah. like because uh, if you if you don't do that then you like you said you hit a ceiling and there's only so much right. you can handle I mean with virtual assistants you can kind of bump that up a little bit but even with that you still need. Um, you still need some maybe some boots on the ground or some uh, you know or a local office presence if you're really gonna take it to the next level. Well, Chris, let's let's talk maybe a little more technical details. You know, how are you? How many different markets are you in right now? Well, ours is a little bit um, 
that's a complicated question because we have we kind of operate two different businesses right, right now. Mm-hmm. So we have our internal, which is uh, we're doing deals internally, where we have an acquisitions person, and then we have uh, VAs that assist that acquisition person in doing deals. Um, and then we also, um, you know, we're transitioning away. I'm transitioning away from the selling of products. So my products are still out there. People can still buy them. But, you know, it's more of a self-serve scenario. So our our other business that we do is that we do a, kind of a, 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 a whole beginning to end uh, fulfillment uh, for, for students where, you know, somebody coming in and they're looking to um, to – our, our, we work with people that are already doing deals. So we're technically, if somebody has, um, if somebody has a, uh, is just starting out brand new, doesn't know anything about real estate investing or anything like that, then we just say, hey, better for you to go get the course, go through the process yourself, learn the business, etc. But for somebody who's already done a couple deals, to we have people that we work with that are doing fifteen deals plus, and they're, what they're coming to us and saying, well, we want to implement. Uh, systems in our business. We want to implement a CRM. We want to implement direct mail. Maybe they're not doing direct mail. They're getting REOs and HUDs. Or maybe they're doing direct mail, but they want to be more efficient. They want to get a better list. They want to scale that up. Then we also do deals. We have, uh, we're also involved in, in those deals as well. And we have about um, 40 of those uh, plus or uh, you know, give or take, uh, depending on the market because it's, it's one, one person per market. Um, so we're involved on deals that we do ourselves and then, which is kind of more of a testing ground. So we're always, so the pre-sale package that we described, that I just described to it, to you is something that we started to do internally uh, on our team, testing it, uh, making sure that it worked. And then what we did is then we then transitioned that and systemized that and automated it and that. So then now the people that we work with on our other side, were we're helping them systemize their business. Now we're um we're they are able to do that. We just simply a click of the button, right? So they click yeah. a button in Podio, and there everything else happens behind the scenes in order to get that done for them. You um, mentioned you mentioned Podio, by the way. Yes. Um, who, and who, you introduced who's, me. Who's, yeah, you, I was gonna. You, I know. <laughs> I know you were gonna get that. I knew. I knew it even before <laughs> when they said the word Podio. Yes, you introduced me to Podio. I would have to give you credit for that. Um, okay. Good. For the record, Joe introduced me to Podio. Alex, I don't think you've introduced me to anything worthwhile just yet. However, I'm still hoping. <laughs> hey, for come you. on! <laughs> I, we're, we're not going to go over some privileged information here, but something a little along the lines of what you're doing with mail, you may have picked up from yeah, me. Yeah, I may have. Yeah, yeah. No, maybe. And, you know, and I would just want to say, uh, just, just, to, just to clarify that, and I'll say this to both you, and you know, and not, not that it needs to be said, but you know, it's funny because. <laughs> Uh, you know, you know, you Alex were my student initially, but I always say that um, all, both of you have become masters on your own. You know what I mean? And so I say that to everybody oh, that yeah, nice. I may have I may have given these guys a start, but uh, I regularly communicate with you, Joe, and to with you, Alex, and we we share information on what's working, what's not working, and so I don't, you know, for everybody there, everybody listening, I don't consider these guys. Uh, to be students of mine, I, I really consider them to be peers. They were students at, at some point in the beginning, but I don't. I see them more as peers than anything else. So, uh, yes, Alex, I have learned maybe one or two things. I have to um, minor things. I, yeah, I have a notebook. 
that is 200 pages long, but you only have, of all the things I learned for different people, and I, you, you, only, you have a very small section there. I say that jokingly, no. I say that jokingly, no, but, uh, but we share information. But yes, uh, Joe, you were the one that introduced me to Podio. <clears throat> the one thing I would say, however, that I do a little bit different than you do in Podio mm-hmm. is I deliberately keep my Podio very simple. Yeah, and you I, know, I, I totally yeah, agree with that. I've been going back to simplifying it. Myself. Yeah, because it just gets, you know, we had, and I've worked on both sides, you know, where we take our Podio workspace and decked it out with a gazillion statuses and all these different things. And they just, people got confused. The VAs got confused. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know what to click on next. And then now we've narrowed it down to be it so simple um, that uh, it's easy for everybody to, to use it and not get lost. And so that's the only thing that I've, and I've looked at other other podios such as Sean Terry's and a few other guys. And um, there's, I'm not saying theirs is wrong, but for us, we find that simplicity works best. And so we just try to keep it as simple as possible. Are you using a Globe Flow? <laughs> To kind of manage your workflows, we use, we do use them, um, and then we have some uh, kind of a combination of them. It's I was, I was thinking about it, how it works. It's like if you had this. You ever seen that where you have the, the commercial and the guy pushes this button and this thing magically happens? But uh, inside the box is like a million people running around and pushing all these levers and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So on our end, we have more of those than we have the Globy Flow. Yeah, we use Globy Flow, but we have more of VAs behind the scenes running around and doing yeah. those things. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, the pre-sale case in point with the pre-sale, you know, once the, 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 the client clicks on the button to send the pre-sale to the customer, there's some automation that happens technology-wise, but a lot of other stuff is manual in nature. We just happen to do it for them, but, you know, because there's still a lot of that manual process. Let, let, let me ask you, though, you're sending this really cool pre-sale package, and I love that, um, but who's who's actually putting it together and mailing it? Uh, we do that internally as a service. So it's actually, um, we have a mail house okay, that puts right. the entire thing together. It's, it's not, uh, you know, it, it's, it's all custom, you know, done for us. So we basically, you know, every day the mail house gets a CSV export of all the pre-sales that go out across our, our market and across all our different client markets. And then uh, they all get out um, and everything gets done in the background. But it's all custom. That's uh, really, really you know, cool. Really cool. I, I did a. I just did a video, um, right before. Well, we interviewed a guy named Tom Kroll who's in Florida. Yeah, and, I know uh, Tom. I spoke with him a couple of times. He, he's incredible. He's doing some really cool things. And I did a video as a bonus for the podcast. If anybody listening to this goes back to the Tom Kroll interview part two, I believe. I did a little video in there on how I have my VAs send mail for me from the Philippines, and um, it's just using Google Docs. And Click2Mail has an add-in now that you can use in Google Docs. So your VA can actually create the letter and the contract or whatever your package is in Google Docs and mail it to your sellers right from yeah. there. And it's really, really cool. It's a new thing that they've added into Google Docs in the last few months, I think. But um, So, yeah, now, I mean, it, it, and for a three-page letter, it only costs us $0.86 cents to send. And it gets printed and mailed the next day. It's pretty, pretty yeah, ours, ours is a little more complicated. Ours is, is probably five dollars $5 each, a little bit over five. But you know, there's there's more involved. It's it's yeah. it's like a bunch of pages. There's a, a return envelope included in there. There's you know the, the envelope itself looks like it's like, oh my god, what's this thing? It's express urgent, please open a, as soon as you can, <laughs> etc. Um 
The other thing I wanted to mention, and this might be, I think this would be of interest to you, Alex, put to both of you, but, <clears throat> um, you know, we, we, we've tested a couple of different things. And one of the things we've tested with VAs is seeing how much we can push the envelope with VAs <laughs> and, um, and, and trying to get VAs to make offers to sellers and really have that dialogue with the seller and pushing that deal forward. <clears throat> and honestly, uh, we have, uh, in, in, our, in that regards, we have not done well. Meaning that we can we have we have a combination of Indian VAs that do more of the tech work behind the scenes, and then we have Philippine VAs, which we still use. That they when the lead comes in, they call the seller, they gather in, initial information, they ask questions, etc. However, though, when it comes down to finally making that offer and trying to talk to that seller and trying to negotiate that deal. We were not having any success with the VAs on that, and I know you. Maybe you got a a, a good one, Alex. I know yours has been with you for a while, but on our end, we did not have good luck with that. And uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. There was a, a deal that we tied up, and we ended up losing. It was eleven thousand dollars assignment fee. We lost because of this. Is that mm. the, the VA called the seller and they agreed on price, and the seller. Now, mind you, we, we record all the conversations. So we went back and, and tried to listen to the conversation. And the seller says to the VA, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll take, I'll do the 50. I'll give you a shot. I'll give you a chance. We'll see how this goes. Now, you know, that's a little bit of a different response than great, great. I'm looking forward to it. I finally get, want to get this deal off my hand. You know, it's kind of like an agreement. But there's some nuances behind that agreement that the VA wasn't able to pick up on. Right. Um, and so so the in the end, uh, the VA and then the VA went back for a price reduction and got a price reduction from the seller, got an agreement. At least we thought there was an agreement. But in the end, there was uh, there was a gap between what the VA thought they had agreed upon with the seller and what the seller thought. So then we had our main acquisitions guy called the seller. And then he figured out that, whoa, there was a lot of miscommunication here. There was a lot of nuances that were missed. And that's the thing that we've been finding is that, you know, when it comes down to it, you know, having that experienced person that's used to speaking with seller, that's American based, that's a sales oriented person to be able to pick up the nuances and to be able to pick up those things that perhaps, um, you know, that a lot of times the VA just isn't able to do because they just lack that if there's a gap there. And I don't know if you no, guys have happens. found the same or not. But that's the, the challenge that we've been having on our end. No, it happens. I've um, I've showed up <laughs> at houses where I thought where the seller is going to sell me this awesome deal for forty five thousand when intent and actually they wanted four hundred fifty thousand. Yeah. I, I, I remember that deal. You called me and you told me how excited you were. You yeah, were like, yeah. I had a kid at a candy store, but uh, I was. Now, so now to give to to to. Uh, to not blame it all on my VA, um, I actually asked the seller, now you want 45000 is that right? And she said, yes. <laughs> so, of course, I ran to the house as fast as I possibly could, you know, and thinking that this was going to be a life-changing deal for me. So, Well, you, you know something, <laughs> Chico, I, I, I agree with you. I've had a hard time, and, and anybody that I've coached has had a hard time who has wanted to find a VA to make those offers for them and call them soft pass offers or whatever. Um, but I've, I've kind of lately have taken the position of using virtual assistants more as a personal assistant. 
And what I mean by that, and I, and I owe a lot of credit to Tom Kroll for kind of looking at it this way, because he realized, you know, I am, I'm at my best when I'm talking to sellers and I'm making offers on the phone. Everything right. else I've got to get rid of, okay? And he was in a position where, you know, he was leaving notes on Post-it notes, and, and the only time that he could knew what he had to do next was when he sat down at his computer and opened up his CRM and, and looked at what was next. And then, you know, he had to keep his notes, you know, and take his, transfer his notes into Podio. Um, but he, he decided to look at what is, the, what is he best at? Where does he make his most money? And it's when you're making offers on the phone and talking to sellers sitting down at their kitchen table, okay? Yeah. And um, so what's, what's interesting is then he took that back. He took it and said, okay, I don't ever want to even look into my CRM anymore. Mm-hmm. And he says, I'm going to have an assistant who's more of a personal assistant. Just send me the next thing I have to do. Yeah. And he starts communicating now. And this is what I've been implementing in my business and for my clients as well. Using VAs as a personal assistant where I'm just going to send them a voice message either through like an app on the iPhone or Android called WhatsApp or Voxer or something like that. Send them a voice message saying, hey, I just talked to that seller at 123 Main Street. Go ahead and update it. Send them this uh, follow-up package. Uh, Set up an appointment to call them. Or he sends them a message that says, hey, I just left this seller a voicemail. Uh, Go ahead and send them a text message that, hey, we just called you. And set up a reminder tomorrow for me to call them again. Or I just met with the seller. They're motivated. Put them in this category. Set up an appointment for me to meet them tomorrow at 3 3 p.m. So he doesn't even touch the database. He has Mm -hmm. the VA do that data entry work. And all he does then is he just focuses on talking to sellers and making offers. And it's it's a real simple twist. But I got so excited when I heard that because um, that, I think, is what's tripping up a lot of people. A lot of people get into this business and want to systemize and outsource everything and want a VA to make their offers for them. And I think maybe a better approach would be um, there's there's some things you just can't outsource. Right. And, and you need to keep that either in-house I mean, to yourself. Go ahead, Alex. I disagree a little bit there because I still have them making offer, offers for me because – if there's, you know, I, I can't just sit there and make offers all day long for people that want ballpark offers. Um, you know, so I, that's what I have them do. And if I do pay attention to my CRM and I'll look at it and I'll say, oh, this looks like a good one. I'm going to take it from here and I make that note in the CRM and he knows to back off and I'm going to handle yeah. it. So, right. it, you know, it's all how involved you want to be. Um, I also have kind of taken on. I've been working with a realtor in the form of an acquisitions manager now that I'll just send the realtor out there as to be my, you know, I guess salesperson. Um, And the realtor will go out there and get the house under contract. uh, You know, if you want to talk about, you know, having an English speaking real presence out there and, you know, and that's proven to be effective. You know, I'll have a lead. I'll come in. I'll say, hey, go run this one. And he'll go run it, you know, and call me from the house, you know, kind of almost do the old school thing. Hey, can we make this work at this price? You know, blah, 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 blah. Go back and forth, feel the pain, all that stuff. And, um, you know, we did one like that. I, I, we got it for 97 and I, or I've got it, got it sold for 127. So we'll make 30 just, you know, from a lead coming in, the realtor followed up with it and treated it as, you know, his lead. 
you know, because he had more ownership over it. And, you know, it, it works different ways. You know, there are different ways to approach the same thing, just like marketing. You know, like we talk about branded marketing and unbranded marketing. You do the same yeah. thing and approach it from different angles and you get different responses. And by having to be able to do both, you cover more ground that way. That's good. <laughs> One thing I wanted to make a comment is um, I wanted to piggyback on something you said, uh, Joe. Uh, this is kind of a, a bit of a piece of advice everybody here listening on is that many times uh, as a real estate investor, especially once in the beginning, you're always looking for tactics and you're always looking for to learn the mechanical in type of information, right? You're required to do the business, but eventually you, 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 you move away from that. However, some people don't. So even though you may know how to do deals, you may know about the marketing, you're constantly looking for more tactics and more more things, right? That more avenues, and you get involved. You get a, 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 a you get invited to a webinar, or you see somebody else's product, and or you go to a seminar. So it's kind of an ever-ending cycle sometimes. And so you said something to me <clears throat> that um, that I've been looking at things it, to piggyback on something you said. Uh, how I've been looking at things now differently is that <clears throat> you said you talked to Tom Crow, and Tom Crow <clears throat> gave you a uh, a different perspective on how you're using how how to use the VAs. And I think that most time, most of the time, people are always looking to gather new information to in order to fix their problem, right? So either they need a, le- a new legion, for a, a new a new way of generating set of leads because they can't do deals with the ones that they already have, or something they're looking for a tactic in order to fix their situation. And I find that most of the time, this is for me that I tend to uh, look. I'm, I'm always looking for a different perspective, right? So. The the example would be that if you um if you look up every night up at the morning at the evening sky um you all you see is is you see the stars you see the moon and you know you think nothing nothing of it because it's how the evening sky looks like to you every single night you look up to it and then one day you get an opportunity to look up at the more at the evening sky but this time you do so with an astronomer and he points out all the constellations and he points out where all the planets are and how everything works. And so now every other day after that, every other evening after that, whenever you look up at the morning sky, you'll never look up at the, uh, excuse me, whenever you look at the evening sky, you'll never look at the evening sky ever again the same way again. Because now what you have is a different perspective. You have a different way of looking at that sky. Nothing has changed. The sky hasn't changed. But now you see it differently because of something else because of a different perspective. And so, um, so that's one of the things that I've been focusing on is um, looking at things from that way. So it may not always be tactics that you're looking for. And sometimes it's you, you could have somebody could be sitting on a gold mine and they're not making it work and they go out and look for something else to replace that because they feel that what they're doing isn't working. And many times when, in fact, they don't need something new, they just need a different way of looking what, what they already have, a different perspective. And so, um, so anyway, I wanted to comment on that because I think that's something that's been valuable for me. One of my mentors that I've been listening, that, that, I, that I follow and, um, uh, and, and I get some coaching from, he, he said this and it made a lot of sense to me. And that would be uh, one piece of advice that I would give everybody uh, that's kind of not real estate related, but it is because I think you can apply that to a lot of areas in your life when it comes to changing your outcome, changing your default future of whatever you're doing now. If it's not working, sometimes going after and finding something new isn't the answer. It's finding a different way of looking at what you already have that may unearth 
the results that you've been looking for all this time. That's really good. And, and that's why I love this podcast so much, interviewing different people, right. getting different perspectives and way to look at it. But at the same time, we have to keep this simple. We have to keep this business simple. That book that I wrote with Peter, it's called Being Brilliant at the Basics. And it's just about, okay, what are the basics, the 101 things that I need to do in this business? And I, the guys I see that are most successful, they don't even sometimes know what podcasts are. Like, what's a webinar? Yes. <laughs> you know, what's a VA? They, but they're just good at the basics. And so what are the basics in your business? What do you need to be brilliant at? And, and go back to those basics. Don't complicate this. And, that you know, that's, that's one thing I need to be, keep on being reminded of. Right. And also, too, the um, other thing is uh, seeking counsel. You know, you being on this podcast <laughs> enables you to hear insight from other people. And I would say that um, we, as humans, we're horrible at figuring out our, our, figuring out problems. Because if we were really good at figuring out problems, we wouldn't have any problems, right? So just by the nature of the fact that we have problems means we're not good. And so we're our worst doctor. And so I always find that uh, the, biggest, uh, the biggest challenges that I've had in my life, uh, I can say with a really high degree of certainty that those challenges came because I was trying to figure out my own problems, and um, sometimes you're looking at the world in a different view and there's, you know, it's like the story of the fly trying to get across the, you know, get across to the other room and trying to push through the window or through the brick wall. And then they, they, they didn't notice that just two inches away is a, a, is a doorway that they could have gone through. And I think that yep. that's what we always have to guard against that, um, you know, my attitude is always like if you were to tell me right now, I'm always open. So part of it is, is kind of being open uh, to, um, to hearing other people's perspective. And so if Joe McCall called me up after this podcast and he said to me, Chris, I think after this podcast, after listening to you here, I think you're the most horrible person in the world. In fact, if I don't talk to you a single day, um, I, would, I, I wouldn't phase me at all. And so somebody could... I, you know, I could get very defensive about that. But I actually say, well, gee, how could Joe be right? Could Joe be right? And I just don't see that I am a horrible person, right? And uh, that's a bit, I'm trying to use that as kind of a humorous way. But, but if you really think about it, um, most people are stuck doing things a particular way. And, and it takes a bit of effort to kind of break them out of the, the way that they're looking at things. And I think that you have to guard against that. Uh, in your own life and that you have to be mindful of the fact that the way you're looking at things and the example I always like to give is you know when you go, when you watch those TV shows and you and and Gordon Ramsay comes in and you know the, the the food sucks and the staff everything is horrible but the chef believes that that food that he makes is the most amazing food in the world and he yeah. just like if if you could literally if if you put a, if you gave him a knife he would die he would kill himself on the virtue that his food is the best, he would fall on his own knife because he felt that that was that. that. So he really genuinely believes that it's his is the best food in the world, and then it takes that jarring, yelling, and screaming, and and just everything else that happens to kind of get him to see that hold holy, holy crap, I can't believe how blind I was to this, you know, all this time. And I think that that's the thing that I'm always now more so than ever really looking after. I'm always thinking about, well, gee, how is it that I'm looking at things that I believe to be accurate, that I believe to be correct, but they're not correct at all. If somebody were to see this, they'd say, what the hell are you doing, Chico? 
I don't know what kind of drugs you're on, but get off of them right away because you're not seeing the reality the way it is. And so that's the other thing that I'm trying to be mindful of. And I think that that would be that's how everybody should really be looking at everything they're doing with regards to real estate or everything else in life. And that's good. Yeah, I'll be calling you in a few minutes when we're done here. Yeah, you, you do that. You do that. <laughs> Tell me how you really feel. <laughs> well, I wish we had more time, Chris. I know you've got a, uh, an appointment that you're already late for. So, yeah, um, well, we should. Uh, I want to know. Should... Uh, you've had me on two times. I know you've had other people on more than two <laughs> times. I, I know this. OK, so I'm not the first one. No, but I'm going to try and weasel my way back into your podcast. So I want to be the one that has appeared the most. For so three gonna, times. Let's, let's, we'll schedule it right after we, we, we're done yeah. here. Because I have like five or six more questions to ask you, Chris. Okay. Well, let's, let's do it. You know, I've always, uh, uh, I, I love doing these and, uh, you know, anything I could do to share with people. And, and I, I always think that, um, you know, I like talking about the stuff we talk now. I don't like talking about contracts and wholesaling. I've talked about it a million times. It's partly the reason why I don't like teaching that much anymore the, my materials are great they still are up to date people do deals with them you've had many people that come on the program but i prefer, you know my i enjoy our conversation where we're discussing maybe hey we're already up and running what do we do in order to to to, to make our business better what changes do we have to make etc right so. well chris you will be our first third peter well, you know, I have high aspirations, Joe. I don't want to beat. I don't want to just beat somebody else by one. Okay, I want to say, gee, everybody else is here, but Chico. I mean, there's a lot of catching up. Okay, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna just uh, see what uh, what other things I can squeeze out of my brain, which may not be enough. It's been squeezed enough, and it's quite small. But maybe, just maybe, I can, we can, we can do this again, and I can come up with at least some nu- more, some additional nuggets. And some additional info that everybody here would uh, would want to listen to. Well, is is that okay with you, Alex? Chico yes. nuggets. It's Chico like chicken nuggets, nuggets right. but better. Yeah. And uh, by the way, I apologize. I don't have a code. Uh, I made I, I for anybody who's interested. I'm a big fan of bulletproof coffee. If you ever want to ah. have a. And uh, I took that right before the call, and it's MCT oil. And I forget that if I'm on the phone a lot, the MCT oil just kind of makes me cough. So I don't have a cough. I'm not like in dire uh, health. The oil or makes something. you cough. I guess that's another conversation. Yeah, yeah. The oil makes me well, cough. So, well, you know, I've been putting coconut oil in my coffee for the last several <laughs> months, and I've never even heard of the bulletproof executive or whatever. Wow. Um, well, but it is really good. Well, oil, I call and put butter in there too, man. Yeah, yeah. No, no, yes. yeah. What I tell you, what, I'll, I, and we'll end this. We'll end this podcast on this note. MCT oil, medium chain triglycerides, is seventy percent what coconut oil is. So if you take and you just drop in MCT oil into your coffee, unless you like the coconut flavor, maybe you do, that'll give you the same effect. However, they sell an MCT oil that is six times stronger than your regular MCT oil. And then they sell an MCT oil that's 18 times stronger than the regular MCT oil set coconut oil. <laughs> that's the way I roll. I'm on the 18 times you know, stronger, okay? So awesome. I combine that with some uh, coffee and some uh, butter in my coffee along with a, oh. with a bunch of other pills that I just popped right before I came to talk to you guys. And nice. let me tell you, I'm going to run about 14 laps around my block <laughs> once I'm done on the phone. <laughs> well, when we schedule the next interview, we'll just schedule it after your next um, yes. b- a binge right. or whatever you want to call it. 
All right, well, thanks for having me on, guys. Really appreciate it, though. Thank you, Chris. How can people get a Chris? How can people get a hold of you, or do you even want them to get a hold? Well, of you? you know, we have a lot of you know, we we still have a course that many people use. Get on board, and it's it's self serve. It has everything you need, like a three hundred and fifty page guide that includes everything you need to know in order to do direct mail effectively. Uh, anybody who wants information, the easiest way is just to go to our main website, which is flipanywhere.com. So the words flip as in backflips or flipping houses and anywhere as in you can find me anywhere. So flipanywhere.com. Just go there and you'll get a bunch of uh, free resources, information. If you want to find out more about me and what we do, et cetera, you can do that as well. Uh, yeah, and I'll put uh, I'll put your cell phone number in the show notes too. You do that, so everybody. You, are, you could do that because I never answer it, so <laughs> it'll be perfect. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, right. you've been a good, great co-host and second, I mean, a host, a guest. Dang, and we'll invite you on again, Chris. So um, look, check out. Uh, we'll, we'll send oh, you yeah. a contact. I'll, I'll be on the lookout. Don't worry. Okay, All right. good. good, good. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks again for having me on the call. Thanks. Man. All right, everybody. Go to realestateinvestingmastery.com to get the show notes of this call and the links and stuff that we talked about. And it's been good. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Alex. We'll see you guys later. See ya. 